Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Day One Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Dudley, and you're about to hear our conversation with the amazing Carl Subban. And Carl and I talk about leadership, we talk about education, parenting, life as an NHL hockey parent, but if you're a hockey fan, you're going to notice there's a pretty significant omission. This interview was recorded a couple of months ago before his son PK was traded from the Montreal Canadiens to the Nashville Predators. So I know that if you're listening, you're probably thinking that's a major thing to not ask him about. So I wanted to let you know that this interview is a couple of months old. I still think it's crammed with all kinds of fascinating stuff, and I really hope you're going to enjoy it. Here's this week's episode. Have a blast. Everybody wants to play a bigger part. This is day one. This is day one. Everybody's wondering what we are at heart. This is day one. This is day one. Everybody wants to play a bigger part. Why are you waiting for tomorrow to start? This is day one. All right, it's the Day One Leadership Podcast. I'm excited. I'm excited about today's episode, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here with author, acclaimed speaker, the recently retired principal of Brookview Middle School in Toronto's Jane and Finch area, which is, for those of you not from Toronto, is known as one of the city's toughest neighborhoods. He is, and perhaps most proudly, a father of five, including a daughter who has shattered university basketball records, another who is an acclaimed visual artist, both of whom are now educators in his footsteps, three sons, all of whom are playing professional hockey, and that includes P.K. Subban of the Montreal Canadiens. He's winner of the Norris Trophy as the NHL's best defenseman, an Olympic gold medal, but his email signature says, I have many titles, <laughs> but the most important one is that of difference maker. I am here with Carl Subban. Welcome, Carl. Thank you. Thank you, Drew. Happy to be here and uh, can't wait to get going. All the titles you have, educator, speaker, author, principal, father. Why do you say difference maker is the most important? Let's just dive right into that one. Well, <clears throat> well, I guess that uh, I think I have my three most important jobs in my 57 years, three most important jobs, teaching, coaching, parenting. And, you know, uh, my students wanted more than wanted me to be more than just a teacher. I think my children deserved me to be more than just a parent, you know? And I coached uh, in hockey in the GTHL, and I coached many school teams, and, and I know that uh, I felt that it was my job to be more than just a coach. And the three jobs have one most important job, and that is to develop potential. That's the job of a, a parent, that's the job of a coach, and that's the job of a teacher. And, and, and to what do I mean by being a difference maker? Well, you know, I've worked uh, as an educator in, in one of Toronto's toughest neighborhood. And the children there needed me to be more than just a, a teacher, more than just a principal. I used to say this to the staff uh, because, you know, education saves lives. The more you learn, the more you earn. And, and, and so we had so many children who uh, they would walk into our school, then they would leave after grade eight, 
you know what? And I wasn't so sure that we did our best jobs with them. I can say that. And it bothered me. It bothered me. So I knew that we had to, to make a bigger difference in the lives of these children. And so this is what I said to the staff. Because it starts with having the right mindset. I said, pretend you're a medical practitioner in a busy inner city hospital working in the emergency room. And a life comes in. A person comes in who's, whose life is almost gone. Who's almost lifeless. You know what those medical practitioners are going to do? They're going to do whatever it takes to save that person's life. And that's how I saw our jobs in education, as a parent, and as a coach. Some of our children, um, you know, growing up, uh, their environment hurts them. You know, whether it's neglect, um, you know, kids want to be loved. Uh, they want to be appreciated. They want to be valued. And I know it's very complex. And so, and I find when kids grow up hurting, they will in turn hurt others. They will displace that anger. They'll place it onto you. They'll place it on, onto the school staff. And so, and, and so to get rid of it, you know, uh, you teach them uh, First of all, you need to be kind to them. Because one of the values we had at the school was kindness and caring. Mm -hmm. Of all the things they needed, I found, like, yeah, they needed to learn how to read and write, but they needed, they needed people to be kind, and they needed to, for us to demonstrate to them that, um, that we care about them. And we had to do things, not just tell them. And over time, over time, it will, ha it will, it will impact uh, on, on, on their mindset. And, it, and over time, it, it changes behavior. And I lived it. I saw it. Now, it's I saw it. It's interesting you say over time there, because before we, we started recording, we chatted a lot about people almost expecting things to happen oh, geez, yeah. quickly. Yeah. And, and you talk about kindness. It, it's this, though, that type of change didn't happen right away. You had to continually, it's something we talk about in the idea of day one, is that, yeah, you have to identify what to do first, but then it has to keep happening over and over again. How did you deal with, like no doubt when you went into the, the school and, and to the staff and said, okay, kindness, caring, this is yes. what we're going to teach. You probably heard, well, we're trying and it's not working. How do you deal with that? Well, you know, this is where leadership comes in. Like, you know, you have to have certain beliefs. And first of all, you must believe uh, in the goodness in people. That they can that they can be good and they can do good. So expectations are very, very important. So what I communicated to the children is this. I'm an, I love you. I care about you. And I do care. But I also have high expectations for you. I'm not going to lower them. I know you, 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 you can come to school on time. I know that you will uh, do your tasks. And when you don't get it right... You will work to get it better, and you'll be respectful to your teachers and your classmates and to people in the community. Those are my expectations. Like back to this education save lives. Yeah, I come to Mr. Suban's school to save my life. 
I, and then I, I want them to say, when I say Mr. Subban's school, they say, it's my school, because I want them to say that. When I say, you come into Mr. Subban's school to save your life, I, I wanted them to say, no, Mr. Subban, it's my school. And, and what are you going to do to save your life? I come to school to work, to save my life by working hard to be a better person and a better student. That was her thing. I come to school to save my life by working hard to be a better person and a better student. So I come to work at IBM to do my job to the best of my ability and to be, a, uh, uh, and to be a, uh, the best uh, teammate. Can you imagine that? To be the best person I can be. Can you imagine that? You go to work to be the best person I can be and to do my job to the best of my abilities. So this is what I planted in their minds. Like, I, I, every day you walk through that door, the school door, you're here to work hard to save your life by getting an education. And, and how are you going to do that? That's the thing now. How? We all know what we want, but it's the how. And I gave them the four T's. Time, task, training, and team. You come to school in time. They used to come late every day. They thought it was a drop-in. I said, you think this is the drop-in the drop center or the community center at the, at the street, at, over there? This is not the drop-in center. You just don't drop in whenever you want. You, you need to be here on time. And I'd go outside with the bell. I have the bell. I should get the bell. I'll show you the bell. I'd go outside when the entry, you know, they had 10 minutes when the bell goes in the morning to be in their classes. I would go outside and ring the bell. And I'll be ringing that bell. And the neighbors, they got to know me. And they knew that Mr. Subban's out there ringing the bell. And these kids, and you know what? The one thing I told them, and I told them in our morning meetings, because we had these meetings, 500 kids in the cafetorium every morning. I told them this. If you're late, do not move like you're on time. <laughs> Don't you ever move like you're on time. I know some of you have responsibilities. You have to drop off your siblings. Mom has gone to work and so on. And I understand that. I, I get rushed in the morning. I get stressed too and all that stuff. And the world's coming down on me. But I said, listen, when I'm out there ringing that bell, that means you're late. And don't move like you're on time. So if I see you running, I feel good. Because like my message, like school's important. Time is important. And if you're behind in your reading and writing and math, you'll never catch up if you're late every day. So after a while, I was the only one outside. I always say, what is your bell in leadership? What is your bell? What is your bell that makes it so you move like you're not on time? Yeah, like that, that was my leadership bell. I call it my leadership bell. It was a great leadership tool. As a leader, what is your bell? I always say, what is your bell as a leader? You know what I mean? What is your thing that you'll get people to buy into it and, 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 and over time learn that it's important to do. So anyway, that was, I call it my leadership bell, you know? And so, and then after a while, I was the only one outside. And it's interesting, you say, because you talked about how when you went out ringing your bell, Yes. To try to live this, that you would be carrying a book with you because you wanted the kids to do that. And it, it reminds me of a quote I saw yeah. as I was doing some research. And you said, your kids do a really lousy job listening to you. Yes, that's but right. But they do a fantastic job of imitating you. True. So you talk about living yourself. You know, if you're going to talk about seeing potential in others, you're trying to see the potential in yourself as well. Tell me about the values you most hope to demonstrate for your kids. And we're talking both your sons and daughters and the kids that, that you were at school, at your school. What were the things that you wanted to see, you wanted them to see you living every day? What values did you really want to embody? Well, I want to be approachable. 
because and and I uh, I just love people and I wanted people to know that that's really important. I love people, and I also love children. I always say, if the world is a garden, you know, the world is a garden, and we're all flowers in the garden. The most beautiful flowers in a garden would be our children, and that's how I, that's how I view life. That's why I got into teaching. That's why I used to say to my wife, you know, it's not because I read a lot, but it's not because I love reading. There's always something that I love. I want to research. I want to find out more about. That's why I read. It's not like I love reading. Uh, maybe I love learning. <laughs> and so, and so it, I love teaching because it paved the way for me to work with people. People are important to me. People are important to me. Uh, so I love people. And, and I want my children to do the same. To love people. To love children. And, and, and you know what? In, in this world sometimes we love things <laughs> and use people. No. I'm going to love people and use things. Because things are not as important. And you know what I did when I was at the school I was at? My first car was a 1983 Toyota Corolla. 1983. Nice ride. And uh, I bought an 84 in Thunder Bay. And I would drive this car. It could, you know, my wife would say, why are you driving this car? And I, the kids would always ask, Mrs. Subban, why are you driving this car? Because it doesn't matter the type of car you drive. Like I want to teach them that, yeah, you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be brand new. It doesn't have to be like this very expensive car. I'm a principal of a school. You know, I should be able to afford a better car. And they would ask me. And I hope one day that they will figure it out. You know what I mean? There's more to life than things. And that more involves people. Okay? The other thing that I value is, um, and I live it every day, is collecting thank yous. That's really important to me. Collecting thank yous. Yeah. I, a day does not go by where I don't do something for someone. And I was just coming back from Montreal yesterday, and, and I remember going into one of those, you know, just stop off at the highway for gas, yeah, washroom, break coffee. The on routes. And this guy, uh, yeah, and this guy held the door open, the first door. And I said, no, I'll get it. He goes, no, no, no. So right away, I, t I walked in, I said, thank you. And I, I you know, and then I, I held the door for him. And I, you know what I mean? It's like, I appreciate what people do for me. And I really do appreciate it. But I have to do something for you too. And, and I just can't do enough. Even if it's just simple as holding the door open. And I know that it does something to our psyche. And you want to have a good day? Do something nice for someone. And so loving people, collecting thank yous. And the, these third, yeah, and the third thing is, I, you know, and I haven't forgotten this. I use this all the time. And, and I think I don't, a day does not go by where I don't live this. So I love people. And, and we know that if the world's a garden and, and children are part of that world, they're the most beautiful flowers in the garden. That's how, I, that's how Carl Subban is. That's, it's in my DNA. And, and, and the second thing is collecting thanks. That's very important to me. That's very, very important to me. And the, the third thing is, 
and, and is that we take ourselves too seriously. And I don't. Yeah, I remember rule number seven. I went to this workshop, you know, because PD is very important in education and in the business world too, professional development. So I always remember this August, uh, coming back from a long holidays, I'm all revved up, and we saw this video on leadership. And the, 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 the lesson was about rule number seven. And it says, don't take yourself too seriously. And I've never forgotten that. So if I meet you, once I, uh, we have our conversation, and I love having conversation with people, um, and you know, hopefully I'll buy you a coffee, <laughs> then I'm going to say something to you to make you laugh. Wow. Come on. Hmm? People collecting thank yous and just making people laugh. Making them Because when you laugh, there's no better feeling. Now, it's interesting. And if I have to poke fun at myself, and that's what leaders do. Then you, you do know, it. And then listen to this. The more time we spend laughing, it's the less time for frowning and crying and being upset. Think about it, folks. Well, you, you, talk about, you talk about making you smile, collecting thank yous, yes. uh, making people laugh. And this is what you wanted to pass on to your kids. Now, your sons are all in a hyper-competitive yes. world. So how difficult was that as it became clear that they were performing at an extraordinarily high level in a very competitive, in a very competitive world? How do you keep those values when the world keeps saying, no, win, 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 beat people down? Yeah. Um, see, their, hockey is their job. That's what they, they're doing for a living. I mean, that's, that's their job. And, and it has, there are certain demands. You know, um, you know, Malcolm can't be smiling on the bench in, in, in the Boston Gardens. You know what I mean? PK can't be having this big smile on the bench in, in uh, sitting on the bench there in the Bell Center in Montreal and the camera is zooming on them and they're down 2-1, you know what I mean? So there's a time and place for everything. Um, but the most important thing is that, um, you know, that, that the boys, you know, if you were to ask PK this, and, and, and he's in a different place than Malcolm and Jordan because PK's in the NHL and Malcolm and Jordan are not there yet. But if you were to ask PK what his two goals are every day, he gets up, he goes, it's to be a better hockey player and a better person. It's funny. And I remember when PK just made that, he's working with the hospital for sick children in Montreal, helping them to raise $10 million. You know, he said something very interesting in his speech. He goes, I'm not just a hockey player. I'm a person who plays hockey. You see, if you see yourself just as a hockey player, then you're going to be in big, big trouble. You know what I mean? You know, um, and, and then to be the best hockey player that you're, that you're capable of being, you must also be the best person that you're, you know, you, they go together. You can't have one without the other. My God gave us a left hand and a right hand. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't give us one. You need both of them. So, so, so to fulfill that hockey dream, being the best player, you must also be the best person you can be. And they go together. And, and, so, and so, you know, what are you doing for people? What are you doing for people? I don't know what my boys are doing for people every day. We see, we've read about PK. 
and I don't know what Malcolm and Jordan are doing, but I can tell you one thing is that they take time to sign autographs. You know, that's, you know what I mean? That's one thing they'll do, and, and that's their collecting of thank yous. They've got their fan mails, uh, but after every game, if you, if you visit Utica, where Jordan is playing, and Malcolm in Providence, after every game, and I'm quite sure they get requests through the team to do different stuff. So that's, that's built in. That's part of it. That's, you know, I, I love that part of the hockey to be, because it, it's, it's, it's making them a better person. And like I said, you can't have one without the other. So, um, so how, how do they love people in the job? How, um, uh, you, know, do, you know, are they collecting thank yous? A sense of humor? They need all three. Because if they're not a good teammates, uh, I mean, it's going to be very difficult for them to fulfill that dream of theirs. You know? You know, every dream needs a team. And, and every team needs a dream for it to work properly. You know what I mean? So, so they, need, they need people. And they need to be good with people. You know, they need to say thank you to the trainers. You know what I mean? The, the assistant coach walked down and says, Jordan, you know, this is what you need to do. I, I know he's going to say thank you. Or maybe he doesn't say thank you then, but after the game, listen, coach, thanks for that advice. I really appreciate it. Like, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you do, you, you do need people, um, and they must, they must show gratitude. And I never, ever, because you see, they're in a, my boys now, in a, look, what, look what they're doing. They're doing something that so many children would love to do. They're doing something that so many Canadian children, American children, European children would love to do. You know, and I remember what David Branch said, commissioner of the OHL and the CHL, the OHL, Ontario Hockey League, Canadian Hockey League. I remember one of the banquet, he said, playing in the OHL, this is the first, uh, it's called a minor major banquet uh, for the OHL Cup, you know, where they're bringing all the best teams and so on. And I've never forgotten this. He said, playing in the OHL, playing hockey in the OHL, it's not a privilege, it's an opportunity. See, your mindset again is really important. It's, it's an opportunity. And for them to, to make the best of that opportunity, they must be good with people. And they must collect thank yous because they're doing nice things. To, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they can't take themselves too seriously. You have a bad game, push it aside. And you look forward to the next one. Is it so, still your role as their dad to remind them of that? Um, what it is now, okay, it's a very good question. So when they're younger, um, you know, it, it was easier to sit down and have conversation. See, uh, let me give you this quote. Uh, as a leader, as a parent, clear the way, pave the way, and get out of the way. You know, I always say there are three types of parenting. You know, let me just touch, I have to go on to this for a second. Three types of parenting, all right? And if we have three, is it the, um, the Venn diagram, the three circles that have a common point? So the three types of parenting. The one is parents, I call them autopilot parents. And then we have designer parents. And then we have lifeguard parents. So the autopilot parents, it's like these kids are flying on their own. You know, they're flying the plane. You know, they're on autopilot. There's no adult there supervising them for the most part. The, the designer parents, they're like the movie director. You know, they're writing the script, creating the scenes, 
And those children, guess what? Everything's done for them. And everything's set for them. And, and, and the parents knows best. And then the lifeguard parents, I'm more like a lifeguard. You teach them how to swim and you stand off in the distance. And if you see they're going to drown, you come and you <laughs> prop them up. And so that's my uh, style as a parent, I realize. I'm more like a lifeguard parent. You clear the way, pave the way, and get out of the way. And, and you know, I always I say now that I'm no longer driving the Team Subban bus. I'm in the front seat. You know, I'm like a GPS if they need me. Turn, turn daddy on. And so what I do now is, like, as they're a little bit older now. Like, PK is 26. Malcolm's 22. Jordan is 21. Uh, my eldest daughter is 34, giving us three lovely grandkids, and Natasha is 29. So, listen, they're, they're older, they're adults. So what, I, what works now? Like, how do I still get my message across to them? And what works best is I look for a story. I look for an event, something that has happened. And then that will be the springboard into into my, the point I want to make. It works. It works. It works. Um, so especially with the boys, if there are issues around them spending too much money or uh, getting out of hand with other distractions off the ice, I just look for opp- those opportunities. And I'll say, you see PK? You see Malcolm? You see, like, you know what I mean? And my daughters now, they're having babies, so there might be something around parenting. You know what I mean? And, and so I look for those opportunities because it's very difficult to, to, to be that teacher-student thing. I'm not at school anymore. You know what I mean? So I find that's the strategy that works. It works every time. Because I'll, I'll send them an article. And I said, oh, take a look at this. Like, I remember the boys, because I want them to read. So every Christmas, I'll buy them, like, a book. Like, a couple of years ago, I bought them the Bobby R. memoir. You know what I mean? I read it. And I thought it would be a good book for them to read. So those are the, some of the things that I do to influence them. But now, because they're older, is I look for opportunities uh, that I come across uh, in newspapers or something on the news, something. I'll send it to them, and then that would be the, that, would, that starts the conversation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Now, PK, uh, you know, this is a guy who's won the Norris Trophy now, an Olympic gold medal, which must have been quite the experience to witness. Yes. And also a, a $10 million commitment to the Montreal Children's Hospital. Yes. Tell me about that, the, the, the donation and how you felt. Now, was that discussed with you ahead of time? That must have been quite the experience as a father to, to witness that decision. Could you talk us a little bit, as much as you're comfortable with, yeah. do you know how that came about? Was it something well, you were looped into ahead of well, time? Let's go back because, you know, my school life uh, sort of goes into my home life and my home life into my school life. There is this exchange, this continual exchange. So... Like the children at school, I, they came to school to be a better person and a better student. That's why they walked through those doors every day. That's why they came, to be better. And so with hockey, it was like, I don't know when it happened, but I realized too that the boys, their energy must be spent on working to be a better hockey player and a better person. And so, you know, how are we going to get PK to be a better person than Malcolm and Jordan? They're going to have a lot of money and very popular and you know what I mean? And kids can get carried away. Even mm. adults get carried away with fame and money and popularity. 
So I remember when we had the earthquake in Haiti, and PK, uh, I don't know how it came about, but he had an opportunity to go over to Haiti after the earthquake with World Vision. And I remember saying to him, I said, PK, now that you're making in hockey, you can, you can start to make it in life. I knew that he would see things there, experience things there that would move him in the direction that I, I wanted him to go. And that's exactly what happened. He couldn't believe the poverty. He couldn't believe the devastation. It really touched him. And it touched him because he saw how fortunate he is, how lucky he is. And so that had a big impact on him. So, you know, we've had conversation over time. But to be honest with you, uh, the stuff with Sick Children Hospital, I mean, that came about uh, independently. On Like, he did it. He initiated it. He created it. I was in the background. Remember, clear the way, pave the way, get out of the way. You know, you have to get out of the way of your children if you want them to grow and, and to succeed in, in whatever it is. I learned in hockey that I remember when he got drafted to the Belleville Bulls the day, George Burnett, my good friend, called. He didn't call to speak to Carl and Marie. He called to speak to PK. The umbilical cord was cut the minute he was drafted on that draft day. And I realized that it's no longer about parents now driving the children. The children now and, and hockey, like that's how it works. And so anyway, and, and so when he got to Belleville, they did a lot of community work. It's not just me and my schooling philosophy, my school philosophy. They do a lot of community work um, with the Bulls and all the OHL teams do that. And then also when he got to Montreal, they're also doing stuff too through the team. Uh, and I'm glad that it, it has made a difference on him. So I think it's a, it's, it's a whole set of stuff that came together for him. And, but he always, he'd always come back to us. And when we talk, he, you know, he, he wasn't, he, he wasn't, he, he wasn't afraid to, to talk about how lucky he is. And whenever he's been to hospitals to see children who are, who are dying of cancer, it really touched him. And so, and then our daughter, Natasha, had a very serious eye injury. And so she was in Sick Children's Hospital too, and, and they saved her eye. So PK has never forgotten that. So there are many things that came, about, that came together, anyway, uh, for him to do what he did. So that day was so special because um, all, they paraded out all the children. And I heard so many stories. And everywhere I go, people are not speaking to me about PK the hockey player. They're speaking to me about PK the person. And like I said, uh, you know what? There's a, here's, here's something that keeps me grounded. Um, people, I get a lot of pats on the back about the boys and my girls, all five children, you know, and I'm saying, geez, you know, I, do, I don't see myself that way or see what we've done that way, but because here's the thing. Um, yes, I want my children to make it in their profession, but most importantly, they must make it in life. Think about it. And they haven't made it in life yet. They haven't. So I'm not doing any laps right now, any victory laps. I'm not going, I'm not, listen, I haven't even starting, I'm not even dressing to do victory laps for parenting, <laughs> folks. Okay, because they have not made it in life. I always say you can tell the parents in the crowd they got their fingers crossed walking around. Check. When you go downtown Toronto, you walk, just look at all the people. They have their fingers crossed, all the parents, because that's, life's going to cross them up sooner or later. 
and we want them to, to, to be able to work through it. And you know what? The happier the children are, the happier our children are, usually the most productive they are and the more resilient they are. And so that's why the sense of humor is good and, and, if, and, and being good with people, collecting thank yous and, and, and those things, you know, lead to a happier life. So I'm talking to a buddy last night. Uh, he has kids and yeah. he loves his kids. I mean, everybody loves their kids, yes. I, I hope. Yes. Um, although I'm, I'm sure you've seen that. That's, it seems like that's not the case sometimes. But like, I'm talking to a buddy last night. He, he adores his kids. He's talking and I was just like, you know, I don't have children. Uh, and I think it's because partly I'm scared. Yeah. Because I, I don't want to screw them up. And uh, he laughs. He goes, oh, Drew, man. Like everybody screws up their kids. Yeah, He's like, do. it is inevitable. Yeah. Yes. He says, it's how you screw them up and how you teach them to deal with being screwed up. Yeah. So I, I told him I'd ask you this question. Uh, how did you screw up your kids? I was there for all the delivery of my, my children. And so, but the one thing I'm going to tell you, no one gives you uh, a manual how to raise your kids. Like I said, the only manual is manual labor. <laughs> and it's got to become a labor of love, right? And, and that's the one labor. It must be a labor of love. And the other thing is no one gives you a 1-800 number to call. You know, no, who does? Like, you, you don't get a 1-800 number. So, so that's how you start out. But, um, you know, there's certain, th- like, there are different ways, and, the, and many of them work for parenting. There's no one best way. You know, I talk about the, the autopilot parent, parenting style the designer parenting style, uh, the lifeguard parenting style. So there are many different styles. And there isn't, you know, I, I don't believe that, uh, you know, that, that there's one best way. There's one best way. But there's, there's certain things that our children need. As an educator, and I'm going to say it's universal. It's universal. I'm, I'm going to go out on, on a limb and say it's, it's, these four things are universal to good parenting. Okay, it doesn't matter what culture, where you're from. Whether you're in Jamaica or you're in Winnipeg, Manitoba, uh, I think these things are very, very important. Our children need emotional love and support. That's what he said. You gotta love them. They gotta know you love them unconditionally. Whether they scored a, a goal and maybe they get cut from the team our children, you must, they must be loved unconditionally and they need, your, they need emotional support. One thing, I tell people this. My dad has never told me that he loves Carl Subban. My dad's alive today. My mom has passed on. But you can never tell me or convince me that he doesn't love me. It's not something that you just say. It's something you do. No one can convince me. Because I know what my dad has done. That's love. Okay, our children need that. I don't care what culture it is. Okay, you, children need that more than anything else. Okay? And, and, and so the second thing is time. Time with them. Time with them. That's what stays with them. The money you spend in them will, will go. The toy you bought them will go. But the time you spend with your children, like PK said, Daddy, I've spent more time with you than anybody on this planet. It's true. And so time with our children is really important. And now it's so difficult with both parents working. You know, and, and, so, and so time with them 
with especially uh, being involved in their daily activities is very important. And that's one thing we, those two things with our children, they know we love them because of, of what we did and the sacrifices we made for them and, and, and time with them. We spend time with all of them. And this is where time for me wasn't as important as the time for them. You know what I mean? And, and if it means, like I did with Peaky, go skating 11 o'clock at night, now I can skate my grandkids. They're, they're three years old twins. I go skating every day because I'm able to. Um, I had no one to, to take PK, Malcolm, and Jordan. And the girls, the girls skated too. We skated as a family. So you do make time. You know, I, 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 just, I, you know, I stopped playing basketball in the men's league because, and I, you know, I stopped, I did courses and I, I did it when the kids were younger so that I, you know, I could move up the ladder in, in, in education. Um, but I did it when they were younger. So as they got older, they needed my time. And so time is important. Time is important. Uh, I always, and the next thing is, I always say, if you love them, you'll discipline them. That's another thing. Discipline has to do with expectations. It's not just like, say, giving them time out in their room. I, I, I include expectations. If I love you, I will discipline you. You got to know what the boundaries are. You got to know, you know, the, the kids need to know. And this thing about if I, if I give you one no, I'll give you 10 yeses. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way in Carl Subban book. That's a new way. It doesn't. I'm not for it. If I give you one no, I have to give you 10 yeses. You don't need that if your children know what the word no means. And I don't have to always say it. That's important. They know what the word no means. All right? And by the way, uh, for all the parents out there, we discipline. We, um, you know, the, the, the art of disciplining is, is shaping the will without breaking the spirit. That's the art of disciplining. Okay, you, you, you know, but my children know what the word no means. They got to know what it means. So if they know what it means, I don't have to use it. I don't have to worry about 10 yeses. I don't have time for that. Who has time for that in this busy day and age? Okay? I'm like, oh, he said, yeah, I'm 60. No, no, that's just hogwash. Hogwash. Okay? And it's okay for the kids to cry, by the way. You know, and I take my little twins skating. You know what I mean? I have to give them some of grandpa's love. Yo, you know what their favorite quote is? Grandpa doesn't joke around. <laughs> <laughs> They know this at three. You know, so, so we have emotional love and support and time with them. That's what stays with them. If you love them, discipline them. And then the fourth thing is finding the resources uh, so that they can fulfill their potential, their promise. You know what I mean? Because remember, they all have promise. They are, they're born with a gift called potential. And nowadays, even if you don't have the resources, there are a lot of programs in place. I would tell it to parents, oh, hockey is expensive, but there's a way. My boys used, used equipment. I have Malcolm and Jordan wearing the same hockey pants, you know, for their photo, on photo day, you know, PK work. So what? It's used. I mean, you talk about parents walking down the street with their, with their fingers crossed. Yes. And anybody who spent any time in the stands at a hockey game in yeah. Canada mm-hmm. knows that the problem with, you, you're in charge of your chat room, but you've got your sons who, you know, you spent your whole life working to to help make great men and people say awful things about them 
uh, you know, you've got PK who's given $10 million to the children's hospital, but a couple of years before he's named the most hated man yeah. in the NHL. How do you as a parent deal with people who've never met your sons saying and writing things and, and just in, not just in the spur of the moment when you scream something idiotic at a hockey game? Okay. We've all done that. Okay. But how do you deal with it's easy. and helping them? It's easy. It's easy. Because I also get the question around race. Because people figure you're, you know, you're a person of color and you're in hockey, so you must have encountered racism. It's the same thing. You know, I'm sitting in the stands and they're yelling, and Malcolm's having a bad game, and the last thing I want to hear is shoot, shoot, shoot. <laughs> but um, you know what? I often use the drive-through analogy because I believe that our lives, life is a series of drive-through. So you know. You go to your restu- your favorite uh, coffee place. Okay, you can go in the store or you can take the drive-thru. So I want you to go on this journey with me now. <clears throat> We've all been through the drive-thru. Okay, because we all have cars nowadays. We're no longer in the cart and buggy era. So, so before I enter that little driveway to the drive-thru, I notice a do not enter sign. Get, cars are coming out. They've been served. They're coming out. Right? The do not enter. You, We've all seen it. And in, life, in our lives, we have do not enter signs all around us. They're all there. So race is in there. That's a do not enter. Those people yelling negativity, negativity those people writing negativity, they're right there. That's a do not enter. And what happens if I go down there? I'm going to get hurt or I'm going to hurt others. And I'll never ever reach my destination. So I will not be distracted. I will not give anyone permission to distract me from my dream or my goal or from my, take me off my path to my destination. So do not enter signs are all around us. But we fail not to see them. And, they, and then they distract us. So Jordan has encountered stuff. I remember you know, they, they said he's the dark one in the picture. And I remember the reporters, uh, he was coming off the plane, he got off the plane and he walked out into the airport here and they're there waiting and Jordan said, oh, I just want to play hockey. He's not going to let race distract him. He, PK is not going to let race distract him. I'm not going to let fans, who, we all get emotional, um, and, 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 and let their words or what they write distract you. So I keep going in the drive-through. I get to my order window, and I place my order. In life, we almost place an order. PK wants to be he wants to play hockey like those guys in the NHL. That's his order. If you take time now, and don't read the do not enter signs, and you go down there, he'll never get to the order window, and he'll never make it to the pickup window to get what he ordered. So in life, you know what? Listen, do not give anyone or anything the power to distract you. I'll never be distracted. And if, if they want to be distracted, my boys, they'll never, ever reach their destination. And that's one thing, that's a very important thing we've given them. They're not going to be stopped unless they stop. You're not, you don't stop unless you stop. So that's a very powerful message. They're not going to stop. They're not going to be distracted. That's... You know, and so you place your order, 
and then you go to the pickup window, and before they give you what you ordered, you must pay the price. price. There's a price that must be paid for what you want in life. And some people, and you just never know what that cost is. I can't tell you the price to, that the boys have to pay uh, to follow their dreams. It's undetermined. <laughs> and some people think that they, they give up. So you're not going to be distracted. That's an easy question for me to answer. Because <clears throat> in life, <clears throat> it's so easy to be distracted. And, and it's a distraction. It's a distraction. And, and with every distraction, there's a do not enter sign. And it's all around us. We just have to see them. I like that. I like yeah, that Yeah, you lot. can't be distracted. Now, you are dedicating a, a good portion of your life now to speaking and sharing some of the ideas you've talked about today. But one of the things I always ask, let's go back to day one. Mm -hmm. And this is really day where one. day <laughs> one. And I ask you, I sit down, I get to sit down with Carl Subban and say, all right, it's day one of my leadership voyage, my life voyage, my be a better man voyage. I need three pillars of success. Do you happen to have three pillars of success, my good man? Um, well, the first thing is, uh, I'm going to, it's really about, life is really about growing your potential. I'm going to tell you that. That's what it is. That's how I see my life as growing my potential. And your potential is limitless. You want to have success? Grow your potential. And you know what my definition of success is? When you use your success to help others to be successful, to make their lives better. Okay? And, and so, so how do we do that? How do we do that? And I've discovered in my life uh, that it's when I have a dream. I have a dream. Right? And a dream alone is not going to leave me to success. Do you know what I mean? You also need a belief system. You need to have a fortified belief system. Because there are going to be many distractions along the way. There are going to be all those do not enter signs. So you need to believe in yourself. And I tell children, listen, you know, there are no guarantees. There's no guarantee that you're going to make the NHL. But I, I can tell you this, you're going to become better. Sometimes it's not reaching the destination, it's that journey. And that's, that's the most important part of it, the journey. And, 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 and the idea is to become better. And, and so you don't say, well, like we would never say to kids, oh, I don't want you to, uh, to uh, oh, you want to be a doctor? I don't think you can do it. Well, I'll n I'm not going to tell children that. I'll never tell them that. You want to be a doctor? Go for it. You want to be a dentist? Go for it. You want to be an Olympian? Go for it. You want to be an NHL hockey player? Go for it. Okay? Um, I mean, and then, but you need to tell them too that there's no guarantee. But it's through that process of becoming that they become better. They learn about grit. They learn about, the, I call them the 21st century, not me, but the 21st century uh, skills. Grit, determination. You know, children need to learn about delay of, delaying of gratification. You know, it's through that process of doing something, they learn all those things that help. Those are the very important life skills. Very important life skills. So, um, <clears throat> so, so dream, mm -hmm. fortified belief system, and action.
in action. Yeah. They say follow your dreams, follow your beliefs. You must also take action. You, you know, a dream, uh, they said is, it, it, having a dream is only dreaming unless you take action, right? You know what I mean? And we spend like almost 50% of the day daydreaming. So action is very, very important. And I'll make it simple by the four T's again. Whatever, if you want to be a doctor, you know, you need to make time to do your schoolwork. You know what I mean? And you have to make time outside of school. You know, you want to be an NHL hockey player? Well, your team practices, but you, you must also make time outside of your team stuff, you know, to do it. And then you got to do the tasks. You want to be a doctor? The tasks are your schoolwork, your reading, your writing. You got to do all your assignments. And then we know, I used to say to the kids, only Mr. Subban does it right the first time. <laughs> Most of us don't do it right the first time, even including Mr. Subban. So you need to train. But you don't do the same thing over and over. You're going to get the same results, right? So I always say you have to build in some challenge. Like when I take my grandkids skating, after I see them getting better, I will put the broom down and so they have to step over the broom. That's a challenge. I'm making the tasks more challenging. And then, uh, then, then the, the fourth T is, um, is team. You know, you know the important of, importance of team in fulfilling your dream. You know, the bigger the dream, the more important the team. The bigger the dream, the bigger the team. And so, and so, um, so in terms of uh, success, you know, I call it the three-legged stool. So in the seat of the stool, write the word success. One, the one leg stands for dream. The second, belief. And the third leg stands for action. Maybe if one leg is missing, yeah, you might be able to have some success. But if two legs are missing, it's very difficult uh, to, to, uh, to achieve success. And then you have to define what is success. Success is not just about how much money you have in the bank. Success is, is, is really, it's when you use it to help others to be successful. Success is, to me, is when, it, success makes me happy. Success makes me happy. Um, success makes me more productive. You know, we know that the, I don't know which comes first, uh, being productive and then happy or happy leads to productive. Well, when I worked as a teacher uh, and, and in some, some of the schools where I worked, um, you know, I, I thought that, um, listen, I need to find a way to make these kids happy. That, you know, that, situation dictated that I, I, I that's that was my number one prayer to make them feel good about themselves and and then that will hopefully take care of the uh of the production so success again my three-legged stool starts with a dream uh the belief system and then with the action it leads to success hopefully that simplifies it uh, well i was going to ask you this a question because this is what we like to send our, our listeners away with if you could go back and sit down with Carl Subban when he's 14 years old, mm-hmm. sit across the table from him and say, I'm going to give you a question, and you make sure you have this question answered by the end of every single day for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And you want this question to drive behavior, so you want to be able to, how have you, what have you done today too? Mm-hmm. What question would you give him and say, I want you to be able to answer that by the end of every single day? What question would you give him? Have you found what you love to do? And are, and are you doing what you love to do? That's, my life has been sort of connected to that. Like, as a child in Jamaica, 
I knew what I loved to do. I loved to play cricket. I wanted to be Gary Sobers. He's the best all-around cricketer. As a young kid, I captained my junior team. I loved cricket. And it sort of was my life. My, you know, my, brother, my older brother said, you know, you'd always walk around with a cricket bat in your hand because I, I knew what I loved to do. When I came to Canada, I discovered hockey. That's what I loved to do. It wasn't realistic that I was going to be a hockey player. I was 12 years old, you know, with little, uh, with little uh, hockey experience as a 12-year-old. So it wasn't possible. And then I discovered basketball. So I had this NBA dream. So I, I, I became good at basketball. So what are you good at? What do you want to do? I always knew what I wanted to do, and I loved doing it. And, and then, so it was basketball. But I, I never lost that hockey dream. So when Maria and I met, and we had kids, even before the boys came, we skated as a family. Because I loved the sport, um, and I loved playing it. And so that's one gift I gave all my children. And the girls knew how to skate before the boys. And the girls uh, loved basketball. Because I always say, you have to be good at something other than school. You must be good at school. Come on, there's no, but you, there must be something else. And, and, when I, and I wasn't very good at school when I was younger. But I was good at cricket. I was good at hockey, what I thought I was. And I was good at basketball. And if it wasn't for basketball, I would not have landed in university and discovered my true passion, which was working with people. So go back. It's, it's a long-winded answer to that question. But the younger that our children can find that thing that they love to do and they're able to do it, it's going to make parenting and their lives a lot easier. Because it's going to put you on that path to learn about yourself and to learn about what you're capable of. And, 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 so, so, and that's what we did with our children. So I, I, I'm speaking in Montreal on Monday, high school students. I uh, really love speaking to high school students, yes. but they don't like asking questions in front of their friends. True. So I get some emails afterwards, and one young man writes and says, I love what you're saying. I love the idea of making a difference in the world uh, and that we're all leaders. I want to be an NHL hockey player. And right away, there's that instinct as you get a little older to be yes. like, oh, that's a great, like you don't ever want to discourage the dream, but at the same time, you want to do that balance where yes. you say, okay, but if you don't, but you don't even want to say that because that scene mm-hmm. is doubt. But what he asked is he said, I want to be an NHL hockey player because I can't, I, I really believe that that will give me the avenue to do a lot of good in the world, which he's right. You get fame, you get money, you get profile, you can do good things. But he said, how do I deal with failure? He said, I'm so afraid of failure uh, that I have to do everything perfectly. And then when I don't, it destroys me. And this is a powerful word, you know, it destroys me. And it's interesting when you talk, because it reminded me Someone said to me once that I don't see it as failure. I see it as practice. He said, I see it as practice that ultimately when you go out the first time with a hockey team and you're not good at things, yes. you don't look at it as failure. You look at it as an inevitable process of getting better. True. But how do you, you, you said you wanted to be the best teacher. You wanted yes. to be the best principal. How did you then deal with the fact that, as you said, the best or our best always seems just out of our grip because the better you get previously yes. what you would have thought of what you wanted to be as the best once you get there you're like well i got here 
clearly I can get beyond this. So how do you deal with that? Well, first of all, back to that young person with the dream, I always say that there's a reason why a car, there's a reason why a car is a spare tire. You know, there's a reason why that car has a spare tire. You're going to need it one day. And so with every dream, you need to have a, every dream needs a spare tire. So like I'm not here to discourage kids. I'm saying, but I'll tell them about the spare tire. What is your spare tire? You need, you need to know uh, that it's there and it needs to be there. That's really important, you know. That's very, very important um, that, that the spare tire is there. That's why I'm not there to uh, discourage, um, but I'll, I'll bring up the spare tire a bit. And so many, you know, you don't want to suffer from the curse. You need to have that spare tire. And then the next thing I would want to ask, what is your plan? Then I'll share PK's plan. You know, Malcolm and Jordan too. Time, task, training, and team. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, a dream without a plan is just like you're just dreaming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you're daydreaming. And so, so you need to have a plan. And my plan consists of the four T's. Are you making time? to do what NHL hockey players did at your age? You know, are you doing the tasks? Are you doing the training? You know, um, how are you uh, in, in terms of, of being a, a good teammate, a good team member? And do you have the right people around you to help you to fulfill your dream, you know? And so, and, and then I also will speak to them about the, um, about the drive-through, you know, about dealing with distraction. You know, because who knows where it'll take you. That dream to be an NHL hockey player, it might not take you uh, into the arena. You might end up being a coach. You might decide that you want to be a trainer. Who knows? You might want to be an official. Who knows where it's going to take you? But I think it's important that we have that conversation. You, you know, the kids must have that. We must have that conversation with them. And, and, and because and the other thing is... Um, you know, after meeting a young person and uh, we do our welcoming and exchanging names and so on, my next question always is, what is your dream? What is your dream? Because uh, a young person with a dream is a very powerful young person. Think about that. Very powerful. But I will say to them, do you know why a car has a spare tire? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And Does that make sense? And kids understand that. Kids understand that. Is it, is it ever too late to have a dream? No, you're always dreaming, but you always have to uh, attach, you have to apply the SMART test to it. Mm -hmm. You know, at uh, my age, I don't want to be an astronaut. I just, I, and I, maybe I could do it, but you know what I mean? You need to apply the, is, you know, is it specific? How measurable? Is it, you know, is it attainable? Mm -hmm. Is it realistic? You know? Can I do it in the time frame that I have? So you need to apply, um, you know, some, but, but sometimes, you know, there are people who are, who are doing their university degrees at 60 and 70 years old, you know? Um, so it's okay to have dreams. Um, I'm not here to discourage young people from having dreams, but I, I, I tell them too, they need to have a spare tire. What is your spare tire? That's really important. Well, Everyone needs to have a backup plan. That's why every, that, when I go on a cruise ship, guess what? <laughs> it has those lifeboats. <laughs> well, it's interesting because it's been going around, uh, someone said it recently, uh, whether it's an entrepreneur, entrepreneur magazine, if you've got a backup plan, you're not fully committed. What do you think? 
No, but I think that this is about life here. Mm-hmm. This is about life. We know that dreams and goals don't always, uh, it's, that, that th- there are no guarantees. I said there are three guarantees in life. You know what they are? Taxes, death, and your potential you're born with. Hmm. Those are the three guarantees in life. Let's get real here. You know, if you don't become a nurse, you got to become, what, what else do you want to do? There must be something. Let's find it. They need to, to have a spare tire. I really believe that. So, you know, I speak to many retired hockey players, and so many of them, uh, they, they have a difficult time with transitioning from being a professional hockey player, and probably many people in professional sports have the same problem, transitioning into real life, right? They never thought about their spare tire. They never thought about it. And we know what happens when you don't have a spare tire, anxiety, depression, you know, those things are real. So, um, so there are no guarantees. Let's not lead our kids down the wrong path. Let's not lead it. You need to have a spare tire. Or just, um, uh, you know, just trying to fulfill that dream, you're going to learn about yourself. You're going to learn about what you're capable of. I've lived it. I'm, I'm preaching about what I've lived. I wanted to be an NBA be a basketball player, but I discovered Carl Subban, the teacher, the educator. If I didn't have that initial dream, I would not have. I don't know. I'm not sure if I would have. Maybe I would have. But it took something to bring that out. So I discovered my spare tire. There's a question I ask everyone. Mm-hmm. Because I, I love challenging the status quo or the way that things... I think one of the big problems is we don't ask enough. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. You, one thing I love when I chat with you is you've always said, I don't know if you've heard this quote. I don't know if you've heard this quote. And I, I think it's because you read so much. But is there a quotation or a mantra that gets thrown around a lot that every time you hear it, you go, oh, that is so not true. My personal one is everything happens for a reason. Or um, someone said, fake it till you make it. Do you have a, is there something out there, this piece of advice that keeps getting thrown around that you don't necessarily agree with? You know, Sometimes slogans, they can simplify life way too much. And life is, is not simple. It's very complex. And if you just take it for what it is, it can be a problem. You know, um, you know but like I said, you just told me the one that you didn't like. And I'm saying, well, I don't see it that way because I, um, I think everything happens for a reason. There's something that you can learn from everything that has happened. So do you think it it teaches you something? It teaches you something. It's setting you up for something. It is setting you up for something that's going to happen to you that you don't, that that you don't see coming. It could teaching you. Maybe it's teaching you how to be resilient. Maybe it's sharpening your focus. You know, I think it it all happens for a good reason. I guess I've always just thought, anything that happens, I agree with you. You can, without a doubt, Mm -hmm. take it and make good out of it but I just I guess I've always when people say everything happens for a reason I, my counter's always been like well no there's well, no reason for anything there are reasons yeah, for everything yeah. so I'm not saying that you can't learn from it and you can't yeah. make good out of yes. it I guess I just the idea that it's it's beyond it all happened in some grander scheme that you have no control over where a big part of my belief in leadership is that it's about having control and re- not even necessarily control but agency in it is yeah. that you then decide to look at it as if it was a good thing. 
Yes, it, that's, that's important. Like that's it was how a I do choice. It. Yeah, yeah, and that's how I see it. So because sometimes we take these things too literally, and I, I'm not going to fall into that. Um, the one thing is that um, sometimes people say, "Well, if I say, well, my greatness lies in me,' uh, some people say, "Well, you know, not everyone." Something like, "Not everyone will do great things." And I'm saying, well, I'm not going to tell someone that they can't do great things. Would you tell a kid, a child, that they can't do great things? If I say that your potential, your greatness lies inside of you, somebody says, well, not everyone will do great things, but I don't know what someone will do down the road. There's no timetable. There's no timetable when you will... There's, we're all on a different timetable in terms of finding or a purpose and or a meaning in life, you know what I mean? Because um, I, I do see everything through a positive lens. That's how I look at life, and anything that happens, I'm saying there's a purpose for it, there's a reason, and, and it's to teach me something. And are you willing to learn? I say life is the greatest teacher, are you willing to learn, you know what I mean? And I'm always, that's how I see things. The thing that I've lived all my life is people saying that, uh, I always think that people think that uh, you can't do this or you can't do that. And I'm, that's, that really bothers me. You know, I've heard that a lot. That's the thing that bothers me the most. You can't do this or you can't do that or they put you in a box and, 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 and they see you a certain way and they want you to be that way. That's the thing that bothers me more than anything else. And I don't mind, I'm like, I have a little bit of Wayne Gretzky in me. When they said he was washed up, he's not scoring, he'll go out and score 10 points. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. you know, and, and that's how I see myself. When people say you can't, that's the, that's the worst thing that you can say to me. And, I, and, and when, my, when, they, when it's said to my children, or they believe people are thinking about them that way, the way I react is the way I want them to react. And I tell children this wherever I go. Don't, um, you know, don't let people tell you that you can't do something. Or if you're doing something and it's your dream and it's, it's good for you, it's not breaking the law, you only stop when you want to stop. You know what I mean? You need to be yourself because everybody else is taken. That's not my thing. Be yourself because everybody else is taken. And, and, um, and if, when you try your best and you do your best, you know what? You can go to sleep at night. But if you stop because someone is encouraging you to stop or you don't do something or follow your dream because they don't want you to do it, you're always going to have regrets. And one thing, Carl Subban will never have regrets. I don't want to have any regrets. Look at me. I came to Canada when I was 11 years old, could barely read and write. Now I'm writing a book. I ran a school. I'm doing public speaking. Uh, look where I'm coming from. Look at my starting point in life. If you saw me at that starting point, you'll say, oh, my day one? Sometimes the way you are on day one <laughs> is not the way you're going to be, <laughs> you know, on day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. You know, remember that. It's only a starting point. And you got to start with that belief. You got to start with the dream, you know, and you need to take action. But in day one, I think, and sometimes we don't know where it's going to go. 
Sometimes people, you know, it, you know, you don't know where it's going to take you. I went to Lakehead University uh, because I had this dream to be a basketball, NBA basketball player. And I found my true passion. I discovered it because I was working with children. I, I was at the Lakehead Abitibi Price basketball camp, mini basketball. And I said, wow, they really touched me. You know, mind you, I wasn't going to make the NBA, but, uh, but, I, but I knew that I would make it in the profession. And I didn't start out wanting to be a principal, and I was a principal for over 20 years. I started to be a teacher, the best, te and, and, and you see, that's what happens when you have a dream. So on day one, you have a dream, you know, and your belief system will grow, and your action will sometimes change over time. You know, you don't modify your dream, but you can modify your action, and your belief system will grow. So, um, but day one for me, I'm not sure when it started in Jamaica, but my life revolved around that thing that I love to do, whatever it is. Mine was around sports, it was cricket, then hockey, then basketball, then into children. No, I'm writing a book. That, but that's how it started. It started with a dream. I want to be like Gary Sobers. I, then I want to be like Ken Dryden, you know. And, and then I want to be like you, Drew, a public speaker. Look, it just, because <laughs> you coach me. So the day one stuff, now I wasn't thinking about this before, but it makes sense. That's where it starts. And the way, when we started out, no one made us feel that the boys would make, if anything, make the NHL. No one makes you feel as if, because you don't know. You don't know. You have a good plan and then you execute the plan. But you got to watch out for distraction. It was, it was when we got to Belleville with PK and George Burnett said, he looked at PK and he said, well, you're going to play at least at the American League level. Then I knew he had a chance. You see, so you start out with the dream and you have your belief system and your belief system will always be tested. You have our actions and sometimes, you know, you have to refine your actions, but we never, never, we never lost sight of that, um, of that dream. Never lost sight of it. And you know what? We never allowed the, the process to interfere uh, with the process, with the purpose. Because you can easily be distracted on that journey. How so, is that? So dream, belief, belief and action. And then an act. Yeah, you got to act. And start on day one. And start know, on day one. Know that what happens on day one and what you believe on day one may change. It will change. But that dream? Yeah, it will change. It's like parenting. You know, the baby comes, come on. <laughs> it changes over time. And the minute you start, you, that you know, the kids, your child gets to the terrible twos, you're starting to figure that child out, then they change, you know what I mean? So, so as, the, as, the, as, the, as, as you improve, the goal changes. Things change. As my children got older, I had to change how I coach them, how I parent them. And so it's the same thing on day one, you know, you, on day one of, of this leadership. Things are going to change, and the way it looks on day one, it will not look that way on day two or three or four or five. And sometimes you don't see progress. Basically, what you're doing with day one stuff is this hockey journey. I used to tell, I tell my friend this. Um, your son can skate 40 hours over the summertime, July and August, and September 1st comes for his hockey team, uh, you know, back session, and you don't see a big difference. You might not see it till January. And he told me that. Yes, Carl, you know what you said that? You, you know, no one gets better overnight because you go and put in 20 hours uh, all this week, you're not going to see 
the progress next week. And this is where people fall down and they lose hope and, and, and so on. Sometimes success is just around the corner. Don't, don't give up before the miracle happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've always, always love yeah, that quotation. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I like that one too. My friend, it has been such an extraordinary pleasure to, to sit and chat with you. Uh, you've given far more time than we planned uh, to open it up. But I knew from the moment I was asked to come and sit down, that what happened was they... Uh, uh, Carl ended up signing with my same speaker agency that I am with the Lavin agency and uh, they said well we want you to talk to this guy and uh, and and we'd love you to talk to him and just uh, anything he wants to know about the speaker world just answer his questions and I ended up sitting there for an hour just being like listening to stories and and insights and uh, I'm so so grateful to get the opportunity to sit down and, and chat with you and share with it with uh, with the world as well. So thank you for your time, my good man. Yeah, thank you, and and you're uh, you're a good coach to me. Oh, and I remember your words back to me when you said to me, Carl, I'm inspired by what you're saying to me. <laughs> Those are the words of a good coach. I knew that I was on the right track when you said those things to me. So basically, you came to coach me and I ended up giving you a few nuggets that you felt good about and that made me feel good. So they say feedback is a breakfast for champion and I loved your feedback. Uh, my friend, it's been, I hope we get to do this an awful lot. I wish yeah. you, I wish all of Team Subban uh, all the best of luck. Thank and you. Uh, we'll be back next week with the Day One Leadership Podcast. Thank you very much.